Welcome to the Wild Wisdom Podcast with Dr. Patricia Mills. I'm Dr. Patricia. This podcast is for people who want to transform their health, restore their hormones, and reconnect to their body's natural wisdom. Hi, I'm Dr. Patricia. I'm a Canadian medical doctor, published author, internationally recognized researcher, and passionate advocate for your health. Here, we'll explore the intersection between ancient wisdom and cutting-edge science, distilling the essence of true health into practical steps you can take. Wild wisdom is instinctive knowledge in action. Thanks for making this part of your day. Hello, and welcome to the Wild Wisdom Podcast. This segment has been taken from Thrive Thursdays with Dr. Patricia Mills. I hope you enjoy this episode, and here is Dr. Patricia Mills. Early menopause, many women are experiencing it these days, and probably every single one of them is wondering, is this really it? Is there anything I can do to reverse it or anything that could be done to prevent it? Hi, I'm Dr. Patricia Mills. I'm a holistic medical doctor, whole body, mind, and spirit, and I'm coming to you live in my Thrive Thursday episodes. And this streams into my private Facebook group for women, which is free, called Wild with for Women with Dr. Patricia Mills. And when you join up, you get to attend these lives and ask your questions live and uh, many other perks. So if you haven't done that yet, please join, and I look forward to seeing you there. And if you do happen to join me today, if you go into the comments and put in your name and where you're calling in from, I can give you a special shout out and please feel free to ask your questions. Today, we're going to be talking about early menopause, and that includes the topic of premature ovarian insufficiency or premature ovarian failure. And we're going to be talking about four surprising and reversible causes of these that do not include genetic reasons. So four things that you can action on to see if that if it can improve your experience with the early menopause and maybe even reverse you out of it, because why not give it a go, especially since all of these things I'm going to talk about don't involve the use of medications, which is great. So what I'm going to be covering is four topics, and we're going to categorize them now to give them some structure, and then I'm going to be giving going deep into these four topics. So the four reversible, potentially reversible causes of early menopause are the stress response, sugar hormones, gut health, and toxins tolerance, okay? First, we need to talk about what is uh, menopause and what would be considered early menopause. So menopause is when you uh, are no longer menstruating, and by definition, it's been one year of no menstruation. And it's considered to be normal, uh, a normal stage of life when it happens around between the age of 45 and 55 or later. Early menopause is, uh, depending on where you look, there's different definitions. It can be before the age of 45. And if you go into menopause before the age of 40, uh, and there's certain um, blood work that is done by your doctor to show that your hormone levels have really changed, like you're really in menopause. Um, what that is called is it used to be called premature ovarian uh, failure, and now it's called premature ovarian insufficiency because some women who um, go into the stage before the age of 40 can actually still get pregnant. So it goes to show that it's not like the ovary is completely shut off, but rather there's an uh, insufficiency and there could be things that are done to improve that situation 
and one of the you know most um, evident uh, you know mo the biggest evidence of improvement is that you're able to get pregnant. Okay. So we're going to be covering this topic because a lot of women are affected by this. Actually, it's uh, the 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 early menopause. Those numbers seem to be shifting and getting bigger all the time. The premature ovarian insufficiency. It's about one percent of the female population. So it's not an insignificant number. So it's a one that is really worth diving into. And if you're watching this and you're someone who has experienced early menopause, please feel free to put your um, you know, your wisdom into the comments or any questions that you have as we go through this. Now, there are some causes of um, early menopause. And when I say early menopause now, it's going to include the pre uh, premature ovarian insufficiency group, okay? And um, the causes that are not reversible, as in things happened and there's probably not much we can do about it over time, is, for example, having surgical removal of the ovaries. And then you would go into a menopause state in the sense that you no longer have the hormonal productions by the ovaries in order to maintain those hormonal fluctuations um, that are occurring before menopause. Other reasons would be um, radiation or chemotherapy. Um, now, it's debatable if some of those things can be reversed. And I do believe that depending on the degree of damage, there can be healing of those tissues as well. In some cases, however, the scarring can be quite significant. And in those cases, it would be deemed to be non-reversible. And then there's the genetic component, which it seems to be that there's still a component of nature versus nurture. Yes, there was the genetics um, loaded the gun. However, the environment pulls the trigger. And it could be that even in these women who have a genetic predisposition or a, gen a genetic mutation or, or some kind of family history of, of genetics has been identified, perhaps there are things that we can still do to improve that experience, um, that menopausal experience. And then there's a group, a large group of women who don't have those as their causes. And in usually they're called idiopathic early menopause or idiopathic premature ovarian insufficiency in that there's no identifiable cause. However, when you dig into the research looking at from these angles of the stress response, the sugar hormones, the gut health, and the toxins tolerance, it is you do start to see these threads of truth where there are many different factors that we could potentially action on um, that could that are related and have been associated very strongly with early menopause that might be some portals through which you might be able to improve this experience. And that's what we're going to be digging into is what are the things that we can do to improve um, early menopause? And that could be reversing yourself out of menopause or making that menopausal transition feel better, smoother, um, and not that roller coaster ride of, of sensations that some women get in menopause, like the hot flashes, the irritability, the sexual dysfunction, the problems with sleep disturbance, all of those things, weight gain, um, those things can be improved by focusing on these four potential causes. So I hope that this becomes helpful to you, no matter where you are in your stage in terms of wanting to pre prevent early menopause or already having gone through it. So let's start with the first potential cause um, that you can action on, and that is the stress response. And what's very, very interesting is that the research is really clear that when our stress response is activated, and what is that? So 
you eat a food that causes your body to be to be stressed out that doesn't agree with you okay or you are stressed out by life like um you know your work deadlines uh family life dealing with children dealing with loved ones um your career all of that causes like an emotional and mental stress and whether it's a physical stress from foods that don't agree with you um, to mental, emotional stress, the common pathway that they all funnel through is the stress response in the body, which is that it activates the stress areas of the brain, which then activates the hormones that send messages down to the stress producing uh, glands, the hormone producing glands, which are the adrenal glands. The adrenal glands are tiny little fellas that sit on top of your kidneys and your lower back, and they pump out the stress hormones, including cortisol. And what the research shows is that that stress response with a lot of cortisol being pumped out actually decreases the function of your um, ovaries. In men, it would be the testes. So it's called the brain to gonads um, pathway. Um, in medicine, it's the hypothalamus pituitary um, gonadal pathway. And that pathway, it's like a dial that gets turned down when the stress dial gets turned up. So that ovarian function that is so important to maintain that premenopause hormonal uh, levels gets turned down. And that could be um, the trigger for you going into early menopause. Like it's just so much chronic daily stress or like a sudden massive stressful event could just really dial down that functioning of the ovaries. And, you know, wouldn't it be lovely if one, one really elegant solution could be really honing in on your stress response, such as, you know, looking at the foods that don't agree with you. For me, that was doing an elimination diet and eliminating a, a certain number of foods and then slowly adding them back in and seeing how my body responded all the way through to the physical, to the mental, uh, emotional stress response, which is, you know, cutting out things that don't serve you in your life. If you don't like your job, really putting in the work to find another job, um, you know, taking some um, conscious parenting classes, if that's something that helps you, breath work, meditation, um, enough exercise, but not too much. Too much exercise is too stressful, can be very stressful for the body. And some young women we know this because, you know, young female athletes who overexercise even lose their menstruation. That's like a very, very extreme, but very like tangible example of how that stress um, response really affects our hormone production, um, uh, parts of our body that are responsible for hormone production. So that's number one is the stress response. And if that resonated with you and you're watching Please put in your comments a hello. You can put in your name or just a comment just to say if this is something that you think might be contributing to um, your current experience with menopause. Now, the interesting thing is the second pillar is the sugar hormones. And the sugar hormone, the one that we know of very well, is insulin. Insulin is a hormone that is released when we eat carbohydrates from our diet that get transformed into sugar and the sugar goes into our blood our blood levels increase of sugar and our body senses that and the body makes insulin. And the thing is that certain uh, there are different kinds of carbohydrates. So carbohydrates from things like your whole grains, like rice, quinoa, uh, oats, um, your vegetables like broccoli, cauliflower, um, you know, kale, spinach, lettuce, um, carrots, all those things, nuts, seeds, beans. 
you know, and even sourdough bread, like fermented whole grains, those have been shown to have a very nice stable release of blood sugar of um, sugar into the blood so that not too much insulin is made just enough, but not too, not too much, not too little. Other carbohydrate sources like what I call fast carbohydrates, where it's very refined. Um, so it's like we know for refined sugar, that's an obvious one. So those are the things that you find in your muffins and your cookies and your pastries, in your sugary granolas, in a lot of protein bars, in a lot of protein powders. Um, and then there's the very fine flours that have not been sourdough fermented, like the regular pastas and the breads that are usually found on the grocery store shelves. A Facebook user here is asking um, a very great question. Are green beans, vegetables or legumes and slower fast? So green beans are a seed. Um, they are a vegetable as far as I know. I do not think that they are a legume, although I have to double check that. However, they are the seed of the plant um, and they are considered to be a slow carbohydrate. So what, what I mean by slow carb is that when it's packaged in its original fiber, so it's still packaged by mother nature, the carbohydrate is in the fiber and the body has to work to break that down, which causes that slow release of sugar into the blood. So that was a really great question. Keep them coming, that was great. When we eat those fast carbs um, and even fruit smoothies would be considered a fast carb, gluten-free um, baked goods have a lot of very refined flours in them. They might not be full of gluten, but they are full of other flours like rice flour, oat flour, and even drinks like oat milk and um, milk itself has a lot of sugar. It's called lactose. So when you drink those things and fruit juices for sure, fast rise of sugar into the blood, huge amount of insulin has to be made in response. And what happens over time is that the body can become, um, can develop what's called insulin resistance. So it's seeing so much insulin, it becomes almost resistant to it. It's like someone who's shouting really loud in your ear all the time. Eventually, you're going to get death, and you're going to uh, deaf, and you're not going to hear them. The body stops hearing insulin as much as it used to. And what's interesting is that insulin resistance, as a result of these repetitive spikes in blood sugar that are very high, causing a lot of insulin to be released, that has been tied. That has been very much, very much proven in science to result in changes at the level of the brain and in the ovaries in the ability of the brain to con communicate with the ovaries to make hormones and the ability of the ovaries themselves to properly make hormones. For example, that has been linked to the reason for why women with polycystic ovarian syndrome um, can't have, um, have a hard time um, having um, periods or even ovulating, like releasing the egg from the ovary. And so when, you, when they took a group of women with um, poly uh, premature ovarian um, insufficiency and they compared these women, I think it was about 98 women, and they compared them to a group of women who were healthy, didn't have this condition, they, stayed, were, they did not have early menopause or POI, the women with premature ovarian insufficiency, all of them had insulin resistance, all of them. And none of the women in the healthy control groups had insulin resistance. Isn't that interesting? And what's very interesting is that this particular kind of insulin resistance was only detectable using one kind of test. And it's not necessarily the kind of test that your family doctor can run. It was an, what it's called, what's called an oral glucose tolerance test, where they give you a, a certain amount of sugar to drink. 
And then, um, uh, and in this particular study, they measured it uh, an hour later. So before drinking it, and then one hour after drinking it. And in this study, they measured the insulin levels. So not the sugar levels in the blood, but the insulin levels. And the insulin levels in all of these women with the uh, premature ovarian insufficiency were increased. So the take-home message for that was that there is a definite association between like um, having early menopause um, and having problems with insulin resistance, which at its root cause is most often, not always, but most often a frequent um, uh, eating and drinking of these fast carbs versus the slow carbs and spiking of the insulin. And the second take-home message is that this, this condition may not necessarily be something that your family doctor can detect unless they are able to measure your insulin levels with a blood test um, which is like a special order thing that they would have to um, do for you after doing this oral glucose tolerance test. And yes, family doctors are familiar with the oral glucose tolerance test. However, usually it's the it's the, a level of sugar in the blood that's measured. Um, another fantastic question from this Facebook user. If you feel comfortable putting in your name, please do. Um, StreamYard is not showing me your name unless you give it permission to do so when you join. And the question is, what about home glucose monitoring kits? Are they reliable or vary depending on the brand? Yes. Yeah, so this is an excellent question. What I have done in the past is I have purchased um, an at-home finger prick glucose monitoring kit, the same kind that people with diabetes or pre-diabetes have. And I purchased it myself because I don't have diabetes. And yet I have been learning so much about how our blood sugar levels really dictate our health and our hormonal balance. So I, I did do that on myself. And I also did a continuous glucose monitor, which is a patch that you put on the back of your arm and it continuously measures your glucose. It's more expensive and it lasts for about two weeks. Um, however, it was like a window into my body that was so fascinating. And what I found was that it does track the um, variations, like the ups and the downs of your blood sugar. It does not show you your insulin levels. So it does not necessarily tell you if you have insulin resistance, although if you have um, uh, higher blood sugars in the morning and your blood sugars are high before and after eating a meal, higher than what's considered to be the healthy reference range, and they don't come down nicely after eating the meal, they stay high after, that would be um, some indirect indications of you having a problem with insulin resistance. So using those um, um, kits or the glucose, um, um, the continuous glucose monitor would give you an idea as to whether or not your foods are overly spiking your blood sugar or keeping you within that nice Goldilocks, like not too high, not too low range. Um, yes, every brand will change depending on like every brand has a certain sensitivity um, like uh, um, or accuracy. So you're, you may not necessarily be able to um, confirm that that one level of blood sugar reading is accurate. So I like to look at the overall trends of the blood sugar reading. And there's like a general range that you want to be in rather than hitting like a very specific like number because of that, just because every machine will be slightly different. So I hope that helps. Um, and then the other question is what's better, the continuous glucose monitor? Interestingly, the continuous glucose monitor is better in the sense that you don't have to keep pricking your finger and it'll give you like even your data when you're sleeping, which is very interesting. 
However, it's not as accurate as the blood test from the finger prick because it's sampling the, t- the tissue, the tissue, the fluid from your tissues. It's called interstitial tissue. And it approximates, it kind of like, they use these calculations to kind of guess at what your actual blood levels are. So for me, what I did is I tested my blood level while I was doing the continuous glucose monitor. And I actually found that the continuous glucose monitor was measuring it one point higher. So I just adjusted my measurements to take that into account. And another wonderful question, how many times a day should test? Well, for me, what I did is I tested it before. I tested it first thing in the morning to know my fasting glucose before I was eating. And then one hour, two hours, and three hours after eating and after eating anything, whether it was um, a, a meal, uh, a drink, or a snack. And I also was interested in finding out what was the effects of caffeine on my blood sugar. Um, now, this is the thing. You may require some guidance around this. There's a lot of information around um, glucose monitoring and what are optimal levels? Why do they fluctuate over the day? What to do sometimes versus not? How can you improve your measurements even when it looks like you're eating a healthy diet? Um, That's a lot of detail that I'm not going to be able to go into today. However, I do have a program called Body Wisdom and I run it every February for four months. And one of the things we do together is this continuous glucose monitor. Um, and or the finger prick, and you get to choose which one you get to, you want to do. Um, how many? Uh, that's one more question about the the blood sugar management. How do you get a continuous one? Is it treatment uh, prescription only? Um, if you have a prescription, it can be covered. If you have health insurance, I have found out recently that places like Costco actually sell the continuous glucose monitor without a prescription. And there are some online services, primarily in the U.S where you pay like a monthly fee or a one-time fee and you can get it. Um, However, I would check out Costco and see if that's something that they have local to you. Okay, wonderful questions, thank you. Um, So I think we've covered very well this sugar hormones and the insulin and that you may not be able to actually measure insulin itself. However, you can measure your sugar response and what you wanna do to to make sure that sugar hormones is not contributing to your menopausal um, early onset is um, to really get on top of your blood sugar response. And there are a lot of resources out there, such as my body wisdom program or other programs out there. Um, uh, you know, There can be books and resources that help you navigate this world. And I wanted to introduce you to this topic so that you can become aware of the fact that this is something over which you have control. And thank you again to the Facebook user for all those amazing questions. That was so great. Um, gut health is the third pillar. And this was actually quite fascinating because I came across some really interesting research that showed that two components of gut health could contribute to early menopause. And the first component is the microbiome. So the microbiome is that community of organisms that live in your gut, on the lining of the gut, and they are bacteria, fungi, viruses, parasites. They are meant to be there. They are the buddies in our belly. And when they are healthy, they help our body be healthy. When they are sick, they can actually cause disease in our body and vice versa. When our body is healthy, it supports their health. When we get sick, it can make them sick. And it's a very intricate connection. And what they found was that they took women who had had uh, premature ovarian insufficiency and they actually measured their gut microbiome and compared it to women who did not have this condition. Again, it was. a a group of women who had early menopause, a group of women who did not have early menopause considered healthy controls. 
and they found that there were distinct differences between the microbiome of the woman with early menopause and the woman without, and that when they gave the woman with early menopause hormone therapy to correct the hormonal imbalances, their gut microbiome became more, it normalized to be like the gut microbiome in the healthy woman. I found that fascinating. What we don't know is, did the, did the gut microbiome become unhealthy because of the early menopause or did it, a problem with the gut microbiome cause or contribute to the early menopause? In this case, what you want to know is that everything that you can do to support the health of your gut microbiome, such as eating the whole foods, eating the slow carbs, avoiding the fast carbs. Why? Because fast carbs have a lot of easy sugar and easy sugar tends to overfeed some of those gut microbiomes and cause of gut microbiome imbalances. Also things like medications like antibiotics that are given and not needed, necessary antibiotics, you need to take them. Um, however, when you take antibiotics, there is um, research that shows that taking a course of probiotics afterwards, where you replenish your gut microbiome with those healthy organisms actually helps the microbiome recover. Um, and processed foods with things like um, chemicals and additives have also been shown to harm the gut microbiome. So again, another reason to stick for your wholesome, healthy foods and avoiding processed foods. The other part of the gut that can be damaged and has been linked to early menopause in a very interesting way is the actual lining of the gut. So that lining of the gut, which is like a coffee filter that protects your body from things not getting in that shouldn't get in from the gut and allowing things to get in that should get in. So it's like you want the nutrients from your food to get in, but you don't want any toxins to get in or you don't want your microbiome to get in. It should stay in the gut and not get into the body. And so the health of the lining of the gut is very important. And that lining is semi-permeable. It allows the food in, but keeps the bad stuff out, right? And there is such a thing called leaky gut, or in medical terms, increased intestinal permeability. And the research shows that when a person has leaky gut, it can actually um, be associated with what's called autoimmune conditions where the body starts to attack itself. Why? Because when things start to get into the body that are not supposed to, it activates our immune system. Our immune system is like our policemen that go around making sure that everything that's in the body is only what's allowed in. When things that aren't allowed in start to get in through, for example, that leaky gut, the policemen start shooting. And as they're shooting these things, so to speak, they start to sh it starts to shoot itself. So our body, our immune system can start to attack our own body parts and it can start to attack our thyroid. It can attack our adrenal glands, that stress hormone response. It can attack our pancreas like diabetes. And isn't it interesting that autoimmune conditions are very common in, in uh, premature ovarian insufficiency and in fact, are a known cause in some women, up to 30% of women with this diagnosis have been identified as, as having autoimmune conditions that are contributing to that early menopause. Very, very interesting. So anything that you can do to support your gut health um, and that leaky gut, is that, that intestinal, that, that gut lining is damaged by the same things that damage the gut microbiome. Isn't that interesting? So toxins, additives, um, chemicals, um, and if the microbiome is damaged, it can actually damage the gut lining itself. So again, you can see how it's all kind of coming together 
all starting to make sense, hopefully. But keep asking your questions. Um, one question that a Facebook user had still related to the sugar hormones is, can glycemic index be helpful? Yes, the glycemic index can be helpful, which basically tells you when you eat, a, um, you know, it's like the, it's the index for each food. So, for example, the glycemic index for broccoli is much better than for Skittles. They could, you could even have the same amount of calories, like 100 calories of broccoli and 100 calories of Skittles. And you know that when you eat the Skittles, your blood sugar response is going to be much higher. There's going to be a lot more sugar released than when you eat the broccoli for the same amount of calories. So that can be helpful. However, every person responds uniquely to the sugar in their foods. So I could eat oats and have a certain amount of blood sugar response. And you could eat oats and your blood sugar could be way higher or better than mine. So Although it is helpful and it's a great place to start, if you actually are experiencing early menopause, it could be an extremely helpful tool to actually measure your blood sugar um, response to your foods that you're eating. So you can get very clear because sometimes we're eating what we think are healthy foods. And then you look into, and that's what happened to me when I was doing my, 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 my blood sugar monitoring. I, I was so surprised to see my response, my unique response to certain foods that I thought were healthy, but in my body were not. So that's the genetic variation and uniqueness that I think is important to be aware of. Now, the fourth pillar, I was so surprised when I found this. This was toxins. And, you know, I was going through the research and I was, you know, kind of expecting to see things in this pillar. Um, however, I was really surprised to see that there was a very specific study that was a systematic review that looked at hundreds of studies on the topic of toxins, environmental pollutants, and poly, uh, premature ovarian insufficiency, okay, early menopause. So these researchers were specifically looking at this topic, um, and they, got, they looked through hundreds and hundreds of papers, and they ended up with 97 um, studies that they found were relevant to their question. And these 97 studies demonstrated that um, toxins like phthalates, bisphenol A, pesticides, and tobacco were linked to decreased ovarian function, which could account for early menopause. Now, I'm going to go a bit deeper into this because this actually has a huge um, relevance for women. Why? Because phthalates, which is spelled P-H-T-H-A-L-A-T-E-S is um, a plasticizer. It's like a chemical that is used to um, condition plastic so that it can be used for different products. Interestingly, it's used for fire retardants on, on, you know, and, and plastics like computers. However, for women, what's interesting is that it's used for cosmetics. It's used for shampoo, body products, and lotions. Uh, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's actually very much pervasive in a lot of products that women um, buy and put on their skin and in their hair. Um, there's one study that showed that um, the average woman is exposed to over 300 chemicals a day, you know, just from their regular, their regular body product routine, or from cosmetics all the way through to soap and um, shampoo and conditioner and body lotion. And the Center for Disease Control in the U.S. actually did a study on this where they took urine from women and urine from men, and they measured the amount of phthalates 
the breakdown products of phthalates in the urine. And what they found was, first of all, everyone had it coming out of them. And women had much higher levels than men. And the researchers uh, assumed that it was because of the body products, the cosmetics, and all those things. Interestingly, non-Hispanic Blacks had more levels than non-Hispanic White Caucasian. So that was just a very interesting fact. And the fact that these have been linked to, they have been definitely linked to reproductive disorders in animals. And we're starting to see the evidence in humans and this could very well be one of the big contributing factors to why so many women in particular are undergoing um, early menopause. Bisphenol A is, is the one that got a lot in use where it's like in the plastic. So if you're drinking water from water bottles, bottles um, plastic water bottles, and especially if that plastic has ever sat in heat and the heat melts the plastic a little bit and it leaches the toxins into the water that is a major source of exposure for bisphenol a and even just in the water supply so getting a really great water filter in your home making sure you're not drinking water from plastic bottles and choosing cosmetics that are very intentionally um, toxic free and like for me for example i use uh, karina organic shampoo um, I almost never wear makeup except for these things. And when I do, I make sure that I'm using really great quality products. Um, and I do invest in those to make sure um, that I, you know, I'm, yeah, I'm avoiding these early menopause because I'm 43 years old at the time of this recording. And I'm going to do everything I can to not go into early menopause because, um, you know, normal age menopause can be a healthy experience, can be a smooth experience. Oftentimes that early menopausal transition because it's being precipitated by this underlying root cause is often not a smooth experience. The hormone fluctuations can be quite wild and women can really suffer with it. Okay. So um, to, um, oh yeah. And then this Facebook user, thank you so much. You reminded me, um, what about secondhand smoke from neighbors nearby in the yard? Yeah. So it's so interesting. You should say that specifically the polycyclic um, uh, carbons from smoke have been linked to causing premature ovarian insufficiency. Yeah. So I don't know about secondhand smoke. Uh, this is from a person actually smoking. Um, depending on your level of exposure, like if you're a waitress working in a bar in the old days when you were used to be able to smoke in bars, that's, that's a very high level of exposure. Definitely firsthand smoke of tobacco has been um, absolutely linked as a root cause or um, premature ovarian insufficiency due to those polycyclic carbons that are very toxic. So really great question. Thank you for bringing it up. I had it here and I had almost forgotten to talk about it. So in summary, what I've talked to you today is about the fact that there are various different portals through which you can work through to really um, see if you can soften, change, improve your experience with early menopause. Will you be able to totally reverse your menopause? That is very difficult to say. And remember, menopause is not a diagnosis. However, when it starts to happen early, um, like between the age of 40 and 45, it's considered to be outside of the spectrum of normal. And when it happens really early, over the um, below the age of 40, that becomes um, like a diagnosis 
um, in and of itself. One thing that I will say is that um, I don't want to forget to mention this because this was something that really marked me with one, a few of the women that I've worked with and one woman in particular. So the stress response, for example, it really depletes magnesium. So the stress response really depletes all of your nutrients because your body needs a lot of nutrients to deal with stress. And one of those nutrients is magnesium. And I had one lady who I worked with, and obviously we did a really holistic approach. Um, and one of the things we did was get her magnesium levels really topped up. And her, she was starting to go into menopause, like her periods were starting to become spotty and they'd be gone for three months and then back. And she actually reversed herself out of that. Her, menop her periods became normal again. Um, she was in her early 40s. Um, they normalized all of her like early menopausal kind of um, symptoms or signs or experiences improved. So for me, that was um, a really, really interesting um, example of how when you target these kinds of issues, it's never going to be one thing that's going to help. It's always going to be this whole body approach, this holistic approach, you know, body, mind, and spirit. The spirit part is that is a spiritual stress response when people have very drastic events happening in their lives um, and it causes such stress that they start to even question, um, you know, if they had spirituality or connection with God or universe or source or spirit, whatever you call it, and that connection becomes um, strained or even obliterated, that can be a very spiritual stress response. Again, it's the same pathway in the body. The body becomes physically stressed and releases the stress hormones and you experience the ill health effects of that. So when you address the whole body, mind, and spirit, working on all of these different things and finding the resources that really resonate with you, the people that resonate with you, the people that you want to work with, um, this is definitely something that can be of service to you and could improve your um, experience with something like early menopause. So if you're in, if you're watching me live, please feel free to put in your last questions. I do have a question here. Is it a problem to happen late, such as the age of 56? Well, that's a great question, and it really depends. So by definition, early menopause is before the age of 45, because it can be very normal to go through menopause between the age of 45 and 55. However, if you have, if your family, like all the females in your family go through menopause later, and you're going through menopause earlier than them. And not only that, you're not experiencing a smooth transition into menopause. That could be for you a not normal menopause experience. And this actually, by the way, this conversation also applies to women who have gone through menopause at the quote unquote right time. However, their experience with menopause has been turbulent or chaotic. And these four pillars, these four, um, you know, portals into whole body health could be just the thing that you need to address in order to improve your experience with menopause. I have been, I have traveled around the world for a year. I've been to many different countries during that trip. And one thing I really noticed is that I was very curious. I was talking to the woman there. And what I really got from them was that they, their grandmothers and great grandmothers and some of the older women when they go through menopause, it's like just a blip, you know, yes, their periods stop, um, you know, certain things shift in their body. However, they don't really, they don't experience things like the hot flashes, the sleep disturbances, the night sweats, problems with the brain function, like uh, problems with mood. That's not a part of their experience. So there's something about 
the modern day living and how we are, you know, interacting with our environment, whether it's the physical environment, the mental, spiritual, whatever's going on there in our, in our culture, in our community, something is really causing us to have problems with our hormonal balance, which is showing up as early menopause um, and difficulty with transitioning into menopause or not a great experience in menopause. So I hope this answers all of your questions. If you found this to be of value, please subscribe and save and share. Sharing is caring. And the more people who get access to this knowledge, the better place this world will be. So thank you. And I appreciate you. And I look forward to seeing you for my next Vibe Thursday episode. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this podcast, Wild Wisdom with Dr. Patricia Mills. If you like this podcast, please take the time to like and subscribe and please feel free to leave any comments and look below for the contact information if you want to connect with me directly. Thank you and I hope you have a wonderful day, evening or night. Hi everyone, I hope you enjoyed this episode. Just a reminder, this podcast is for educational purposes only. This podcast is not a substitute for a professional care doctor or other qualified medical professional. This podcast is provided with the understanding that it does not constitute medical or other professional advice or services. If you are looking for help in your journey, it is important that you seek out a qualified health practitioner. If you would like to work with Dr. Patricia for her expert health transformation guidance, please email her at info at drpatriciamills.com to book a discovery call. You can also find Dr. Patricia on Instagram at Dr. Patricia Mills and Facebook at Wild Wisdom for Women with Dr. Patricia Mills MD. For access to all of Dr. Patricia's educational videos and more amazing perks, consider becoming a Patreon member. Links are in the description of this episode. It is important to have an expert in your corner that can help you make the changes you crave, especially when it comes to your health. <laughs>